The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing the Ottawa Red Blacks signing Canadian offensive lineman Drew Desjardins. A.C. Leonard joining the Edmonton Elks shortly after his release from the Saskatchewan Roughriders. ESN's plan to televise four preseason CFL games in 2023. Grey Cup hero Robbie Smith re-signing with the Toronto Argonauts. And Matt Dunnigan casting some doubt on Chad Kelly as a potential starting quarterback. But first... Herb Zerkowski of the Montreal Gazette reported that Trevor Harris of the Montreal Alouettes currently is likely heading to free agency. Where do you believe that Harris will play in 2023? Well, I know of one team that desperately needs a starting quarterback. And as much as their head coach and GM and OC are all under only one year contracts, their franchise is owned by a board of directors that is competent. And that is something that the Montreal Alouettes do not currently have, which is competent ownership. This is a situation where Trevor Harris, I think, is being very wise to look at all of his options. He's somebody who is going to be in high demand, I think, especially considering we just saw Bolivar Mitchell hit the uh, pardon me, come off the free agent market by resigning with the Hamilton Tiger Cats on a long term deal. We discussed that at length, JC and I, on last week's episode of the show. So Trevor Harris right now is the best quarterback going to free agency, at least right now, and that puts him in a powerful position. He has leverage. Herb also reported, and it's a great article, you should go read it 100%, that Gary Stern, the vocal minority owner of the team, whose Twitter ramblings can be found often in the middle of the night with (laughs) no grammar whatsoever and odd (laughs) punctuation on, on his social media feeds, apparently is not a fan of Harris as he continues to tweet about Vernon Adams Jr., who is now used to be the the quarterback in Montreal, of course, is now the quarterback of the BC Lions with Nathan Rourke in the NFL. So to me, boys, this looks like Harris is going to be a Saskatchewan Rough Rider. I'm not saying it's a done deal. I don't think Harris has even made up his mind yet. He did an interview with CKRM yesterday in Regina where he said that, was very noncommittal about his future in either place. But boys, where there's smoke, there's fire. And there's a lot that makes sense about Harris going to Saskatchewan. Absolutely. And this is some excellent reporting by our colleague, Herb Zerkowski. It's an absolute bombshell. And if you're a fan of the Montreal Alouettes, this is an absolute disaster for you. This is horrific. This is the worst thing that could happen to your franchise right now is Trevor Harris leaving because... For whatever he is, Trevor Harris is a top upper echelon quarterback in the CFL, right? He got you where you were last year. He played, I thought, one of his best seasons in the CFL last year at 36 years old. And you've shown he can keep playing at that level. To have management issues cause a quarterback of that caliber to potentially want to leave your organization is absolutely dumbfounding to me, right? This is a perfect fit. Danny Machocha loves Trevor Harris, right? Jason Moss has worked with him in the past. They mesh well. This should be the only place that Trevor Harris wants to play. But because of everything else that is going on behind the scenes, the Montreal Alouettes may be the guys at the end of all this quarterback carouseling left without a legitimate starting quarterback, and that should terrify fans in La Belle Provence. 
JC, Cody Fajardo has his hand up saying, hey, I got a bunch of starts and I've been with Jason Moss and I believe I'm a legitimate quarterback in this league. Whether or not Mr. Abbott chooses to believe it or not, we'll let Fajardo potentially prove us right here. The key point in all of this is Trevor Harris has been in this situation before and he knows when he has the leverage and he was recently in situations where he didn't have the leverage, where he was playing to get back to this type of contract situation and be paid like an upper echelon quarterback. He certainly played like it for Montreal after taking the job from Vernon Adams Jr. early in the season. And he knows that all it takes is two. There are two teams here that are absolutely desperate for a proven upper echelon quarterback. Cody Fajardo, I think, has that ability, but it's more of an unknown than Trevor Harris is. And certainly the Saskatchewan Rough Riders would want this dream scenario to come true. This was the guy that Kelly Jeffrey would ideally have running his offense. He spoke about him individually on his first media availability after he became officially the offensive coordinator of the riders it wasn't in a way where i thought he could be tampered it was smart but it was in a way that was somewhat letting harris know that he was praising him and would welcome him in saskatchewan guys there's other couple factors here at play and one of the big ones is the tax situation trevor harris would have to be paid probably let's say seven hundred thousand dollars to make what he would take home if he went to Saskatchewan was paid, let's say $600,000 or even less. And then there's all the off-field money that he could make with the Rough Riders versus what's possible in Montreal and Quebec because he is not comfortable speaking French. I mean, I'm sure you can do some of the easy phrases that are out there, but I think those are a couple of the things that could be weighing in here. And also when Harris said this on CJME that he loves how Saskatchewan loves football. And that's the type of atmosphere that he wants to play in. And there's a lot made about how badly the Rough Riders offensive line played last season. And then there's people talking about how Harris might not fit behind there. Well, one of Harris's traits when he's playing very well, is getting rid of the ball quickly. Just ask the Hamilton Tiger Cats in that East Final when he diced them up for six touchdowns. They just didn't even have a chance to touch him, let alone sniff him or even hit him because he was getting rid of the ball so fast. So I think he could help out that offensive line. He could help out a young play caller in Kelly Jeffrey, who he does know a little bit. And I think he could raise the level there in terms of being one of those quieter leaders. He's a fiery guy. He loves playing football. But I think he could bring a renewed leadership there to the Rough Riders locker room that they could really use in a face of the franchise that could be sold in that market. Because I don't think you can sell Cody Fajardo there anymore. Well, let's look at his history as well. Trevor Harris has bounced from two good situations before. He was the backup behind Ricky Ray back in 2012 to, to 2015. Jason Moss was there for three years, by the way, from 2012 to 2014. He went and signed with the Ottawa Red Blacks in 2016, despite the fact that Henry Burris was still the franchise guy. And he was happy to wait a year. And lo and behold, Burris leads them to a great cup final. Two years later, after Burris has retired, Harris leads the Red Blacks to an appearance in the Grey Cup. One would assume he's back. And yet in free agency, he bounces to the Edmonton Elks and he rejoins. <laughs> guess who? Jason Moss. So to me, there is a history. There is a pattern, right, of Trevor Harris leaving situations that from the outside certainly look good and probably would have remained good had he stayed. He probably would have been successful had he had he stayed in Toronto. He probably would have still been successful had he stayed in Ottawa. But he has left good situations before for situations that he obviously feels are better. And secondly, that is part of what makes this shocking is the Jason Moss factor. Danny Machocha denied that he hired Jason Moss as the head coach simply to get Harris to sign on the dotted line. But I think we all know it's a nice little added bonus, right? When you can get Jason Moss as the head coach 
at that point on that day, it was December 17th, 2022, when the Alouettes unveiled Moss as their new head coach, I figured it was a foregone conclusion that Harris would sign on the dotted line to be with the coach who he's known for, for a very long time, dating back again all the way to 2012 when they were together with the Toronto Argonauts. And I believe that was Harris's rookie year, even in the CFL. He came up to the CFL a little bit later than a lot of folks. So to me, that is the surprising part of this. Because if Jason Moss, right, as part of that brain trust in Montreal, can't get Trevor Harris to sign on the dotted line, how does that team recruit anybody at this point? They've got a massive number of free agents left. And obviously, some of these players are eerie about signing back with a team that, again, has a bit of a mess right now in that ownership group. It's going to be a significant problem for this team heading into free agency. And now you have to look at other options, potentially at quarterback. And I know, Justin, you brought up Kogi Fajardo. And I feel Kogi Fajardo can play in this league, right? Whether he's an elite starter or not, that's not the debate we're having right now. But he can play in this league. He can be a competent starter. The problem is how you stick him back in a Jason Moss-led offense after you clearly saw in Saskatchewan that those two did not work well together. Right. And I I don't know what their relationship is like off the field. I'm sure they get along fine. But Jason Moss's scheme did not fit Kogi Fajardo well. And if they end up sort of forced back together in Montreal, there will have to be significant changes on the coaching side in terms of what he wants to do, because it's become clear that those two, that the style that Fajardo can play with does not match Moss's coaching style. And so that would have to change if they had a reunion with the Alouettes. The other part of this guys that we haven't touched upon yet, I know we started talking about Trevor Harris, but his go-to target in Montreal last year was Gino Lewis, who based on what Danny Machocha told me at the winter meetings has now had two in-person meetings with Machocha. And then his latest on Twitter is him saying he's headed to free agency while he's tweeting an Allen Iverson epic rant that Iverson had when he was with the Philadelphia 76ers saying essentially he's going to win wherever he goes. If you're the Saskatchewan Rough Riders sitting back and you have this cash available to spend at these positions now because it doesn't look like Jack Evans is going to be back there at receiver it doesn't seem like Duke Williams will be back there either. So that's at least $250,000, if not more, that's opened up on your cap. You say, do we bring these two guys in? Their familiarity with each other helps right away to be a great playmaking tandem. And that we can sell a CFL all-star receiver and an upper echelon quarterback would certainly be sexy for the Saskatchewan Rough Rider. So I think there's a lot of people out there saying, what are the Riders doing? What's Craig Dickinson doing? What's Jeremy O'Day especially doing? Because they haven't re-signed players, and we'll get to it a little later, but they released A.C. Leonard, who was due to be the highest-paid CFL defensive end in the league. But perhaps this is part of the plan that they see unfolding and what they're watching from the outside happening. They believe Geno Lewis is likely at least going to get to this period the Ed Hervey legal tampering period, let's call it, that starts not too far away now. I believe it's on February 5th. And you can at least talk to Geno Lewis and entice him to perhaps come to Saskatchewan. You can perhaps talk to Trevor Harris. Now, the other part of the Harris piece that needs to be discussed is a major leverage play. If you're Harris, it's all fine, well, and good to get along with Danny Machocha and he really likes you and Jason Moss knows you really well and you know his offense. But you want to try to get paid. You want to try to get paid as much money as you can where you believe there's enough left on the salary cap for your team to put weapons around you for you to win. So I think this is also Harris being very comfortable in his situation, knowing that, yeah, I can go and re-sign with Montreal even after free agency opens. But I really want to take this to the 11th hour to try to get as much money out of Montreal as I can, part of that due to the taxes that he's going to have to pay in Quebec if he decides to stay with the Alouettes. Makes sense to me. One one last thing I'll say before we go on is I know some Ryder fans are panicked about the inaction that is taking place in Regina. Can I just remind them politely 
your team was awful last year. <laughs> your team shouldn't be doing right a lot right now. They can't upgrade anything until free agency starts. Like fans of bad teams, I'll throw Ottawa in that mix. I'll throw Edmonton in that mix. They should not be busy right now. They need to be busy in a while when they can add talent. Good teams should be busy right t- right now. Bad teams should be making plans right now. There's a difference. Three Down Nation has published its list of the top 35 pending CFL free agents available right now. You can find the full list on our website, but we've each decided to highlight one pending free agent who didn't quite crack the list. Fellas, if you were to chase one pending free agent outside of our top 35, who would it be and why? I think there's some some really good choices out there. It's a loaded free agent class, as it has been the last few years. But the name I'll highlight is Brandon Dozier, who did not play a ton last year, only seven games for the Stampeders because he was injured at the start of the year. But whenever he's been on the field, he's playing at an all-star level as a defensive back. Now, he can play safety for you. He can play Sam linebacker, both at all-star caliber levels. I think he is a really underrated player in the CFL. I've always been really impressed with him digging back to his time in BC, where I thought he was the best player in that secondary the year he played out here in Vancouver. And I think he can continue to be at that level next year when he's healthy. He's going to have another tremendous season wherever he signs. And I don't think you have to pay that much money to get him either. The guy that I'm going to go with in this instance is Obum Guachum, otherwise known as Boom Guachum for getting after the quarterback. Nine sacks in 28 career games in the CFL. A little up there in age, he's 31, but I think he's just coming into his prime as a CFL pass rusher. Sean Lemon has shown us that you can be ageless in this league as a pass rusher. Charleston Hughes as well had five sacks last year for BC, and I think is a guy that is very athletic, is big, long, coming off that edge, and seems to fit the mold of rushers that one Mr. Chris Jones would want to add to his defense. But we'll see now how that shakes down after signing A.C. Leonard and with Avery Ellis over there. But for me, I think there's a lot of value in Boom Guacho. My guy is somebody who's everybody, everybody's forgotten about because he didn't see the field in 2022, and that is Canadian defensive end Kwaku Boateng. Had 25 sacks over four seasons with Edmonton. This past year was injured in May, suffered a season-ending lower body injury. He has 25 sacks over four seasons as a ratio-breaking defensive end. He was considered widely the best Canadian defensive end in the CFL when he got hurt. Now, Matthew Betts had a breakout year in BC this past year. David Menard quietly seems to every year put up nine or ten sacks. Uh, regardless of where he plays, he's, play, he's played in BC, he's played in Montreal. But to me, Kwaku Boateng, coming off an injury, he's only 27, guys. This is not a 32-year-old guy coming off an injury. This is a 27-year-old player. I think he's still got a lot of good years ahead of him. And again, this injury happened in May. So I think the odds of him being ready for training camp are good, though I don't believe he's spoken publicly regarding the injury since it last took place. So whether he ends up back in Ottawa or whether somebody else wants to put in a steal to try to bring him in, I think he's an underrated free agency or free agent who's flying under the radar ahead of free agency. Well, I commend you both for your selections. I think those are excellent picks. Botang, he's a ratio breaker. And Boom Guachim, he may not always have the sack numbers, but he puts up pressures as, as high as anyone else in the league. So very good picks, guys. I like the Botang pick, Hodge, and I think he's certainly underrated from the sense that you said, look at what he did when he was healthy and he spends one year rehabbing and then everybody forgets about him. So I think Kwaku Boateng is a high-character guy that teams could get at a great value just because of injury. Sorry, JC, go ahead. The Ottawa Red Blacks have signed Canadian offensive lineman Drew Desjardins to a two-year contract that made him the highest-paid offensive lineman in the league, earning $250,500 in year one and $260,000 in year two. Is that a smart move for Desjardins and the Red Blacks? I really believe it is on both fronts. First of all, Desjardins gets 
the belt, so to speak, of being called the highest paid offensive lineman in the league and the Red Blacks offensive line gets better with him there. The team that has been the gold standard in the CFL the last three seasons has been the Blue Bombers. 2019, they win the Grey Cup. 2021, they win the Grey Cup. 2022, they get there. They've been to three straight Grey Cups. And everybody in the league will tell you one of the main reasons why is because they've had the best offensive line in the league. Desjardins was a guy that was actually there with Winnipeg, a part of that offensive line, and had thoughts about going back there. And for clarity, Saskatchewan was in the mix and actually did offer more than the Red Blacks offered. But if you drew Desjardins and you played for the Blue Bombers, it's very hard to picture yourself putting on that green and white jersey. So I think that was certainly a factor in his decision. And the other part of this, as Sean Burke has shown as general manager of the Ottawa Red Blacks, yes, it's in a short time, but he has shown that he can put on a great recruiting pitch. He's very professional in what he does, and that has brought a lot of talent very quickly to the nation's capital. It might not have shown up in wins and losses in 2022, but I think that's going to change in 2023 and subsequent seasons. And Desjardins is one of those guys that can make a major difference. There were some people that wondered about paying him so much money. Well, they're not going to bring back Darius Sirocco. So there's a bunch of money freed up. And then so real, how do you say his last name, boys? Hogan St. Don. Hogan St. Don. There we go. Thanks, fellas. Don't want to get it wrong. So I asked the experts. He's going to be on a rookie contract. So he essentially had that kind of money to spend on the offensive line because of that. And I don't think Hunter Stewart will be back there either because that's the slot that Desjardins is going to go into. So, boom, there opens up your $250,000 or approximate dollars to go get Desjardins. So I think for a bunch of people, and specifically Desjardins and the Red Blacks, it makes a lot of sense because they improve that offensive line behind a guy like Jeremiah Masoli that they're going to have to protect there to really make this franchise competitive and get them in the playoffs. To me, this is an outstanding move. I think Drew Desjardins is not only the best interior offensive lineman in the CFL, I think he is the best offensive lineman in the CFL. That's not just best Canadian offensive lineman. That is best offensive lineman, period. End of sentence. I think he is fantastic. I have spoken with defensive coaches who have had to prepare against Drew Desjardins. I have spoken to defensive players who have played against Drew Desjardins. I can tell you right now, they do not like playing against Drew Desjardins. He is somebody who loves to tiptoe that line of what is permitted on the field. And every now and again, I think he'll take a little step across what that line Includes, and I'm talking about the physicality of the game. He is a remarkably punishing, punishing blocker, but he's also one of the most athletic guys out there. At 6'4, you know, 295, 300, he moves better than a lot of guys smaller than him. I loved him coming out of the draft. He should have been the number one pick in 2019. He was the third offensive lineman on the board, which is hilarious in hindsight because the two guys drafted ahead of him are still not established starters in the CFL. Yes, it's a lot of money, boys, but to me, how often do 25-year-old Canadian offensive linemen this good on the open market? The answer is just about never. So once you get to a certain point where everybody's offering the same amount of money, it's not like Ottawa's offer blew everyone away. As Dunk said, it wasn't the highest offer, and I'm led to believe there were five offers from teams across the country going hard after Desjardins. At a certain point, it becomes about fit. And for Ottawa, this is a guy from Bell River, Ontario, not particularly close to any of the three CFL cities in Ontario. Not that my Ontario geography is necessarily at expert level, but <laughs> you have the opportunity on a two-year deal to have him fall in love with the city, fall in love with the franchise, hopefully win some games, which is something that Ottawa hasn't done since 2018. But hey, if you get him right, happy and settled and you know, maybe he starts a family, you know, depending on his personal situation, all those things. All of a sudden, at age 27, you've got a guy who wants to play the next five, seven, 10 years. 
in Ottawa. What a dream scenario. I love this move for Desjardins. I love it in Ottawa. The only thing I'm sad about is I don't get to cover him in Winnipeg anymore, but I'll, I'll, I'll get over that. That's my issue. That's not his issue or Ottawa's issue. You're right. It's a, it's a great move for Desjardins. And I don't think there is even a question or a debate at this stage that he is the best, I would say offensive lineman period, but certainly the best interior offensive lineman in the CFL right now. He is a special, special, special player. And Ottawa is, as you've pointed out, in a good position to pay him this much money because they have some youth on that offensive line that they aren't paying as much to. Cyril Hogan-Sandon is definitely going to start at center next year. I think he was excellent in the limited time he played as a, a as a rookie and is ready to take that next step. And they also have the guy they drafted above Cyril Hogan-Sandon in Zach Pelahos, who's still there developing and could be a starter down the line as well. So you could be in a situation even in year two of Drew Desjardins' deal where you're not paying very much to two of your other Canadian starters on the offensive line. They're still on their rookie contracts. And so this deal doesn't look as cumbersome, but still... I'm a little bit uncomfortable with paying this much to a guard. And I'm speaking as an offensive line lover, as a guy who played guard myself. And the reality is it's a low value position because it's one of those spots on the football field that is reliant on the people around them. You can, you can help them out, right? You can hide it a little bit. It's more about the collective than it is individual dominance necessarily. I'm like, you know, a receiver out wide or a quarterback. It's not a position typically you should be spending this much of your salary cap on. And so while Ottawa is well positioned to do that and take that chance, and I don't think it it's going to come back to bite them because of that. You wonder about the next contract with Drew Desjardins and he may have to take a step back in pay in order to make it work wherever he goes, because I don't think it's sustainable to keep paying a guard this much money in a league where you're so tied up against the cap all the time. I get what you're saying, JC, but I think there could be value there. If Desjardins can take guys one-on-one that could relieve some pressure off of a young center in Hogan Sando or a tackle and the red blacks are going to have to find a left tackle. You can Williams announced his retirement, at least on social media. It doesn't look like he's going to play football. So I think it can relieve some pressure on other players, just as you said, if you don't have a guy up to that elite status that Desjardins is, that you might have to help him out a little bit. So I think there's a little bit of give and take there, and they'll have to see down the line how the numbers will work out. Desjardins is going to have to prove that he can continue to play at a high level after getting a contract of this size and I don't necessarily think that'll be an issue because he didn't get a big head after going to the NFL and spending time with the New England Patriots and the New Orleans Saints and part of him coming back to the CFL was wanting to play and not being just overtaken let's say with uncertainty every week not knowing if he was going to be on the practice roster brought up to the active roster are you going to get cut is another team going to come and pick you up and perhaps put you on your active roster and you have to turn over and turn up upside down your life very quickly there. So I think Desjardins coming back to the CFL for those reasons made a lot of sense. And you can tell by the amount of teams that were bidding, as Hodge said, five of them across the country, that Desjardins was a very highly thought of commodity in this league. There likely won't be another single free agent who will have five other teams bidding for his services as we go through this free agency. There might be guys that have two or three or maybe four, but if we get to five, I would be very much surprised. But that shows you how much value Desjardins has. Yes, I agree with you guys that he could be up there as just the purely best offensive lineman in the league, but because he's Canadian, he carries that extra value, as we all know, and that's why five teams were in on him. The other thing... Thing that I think is worth mentioning is that if the Rough Riders are willing to spend that type of money on Dejerlay, what does that say about the potential future of Brett Jones playing in the CFL? Because if the Riders had gotten Dejerlay's name on a contract, 
then you're probably not going to have that same kind of money to spend on a Brett Jones. So I think this is actually a way for us to see into the future here a little bit to see that it's no certainty. Like I think some riders fans think that Jones is going to come and put on the green and white. Those same Saskatchewan Rough Riders released defensive end AC Leonard on Tuesday, one day ahead of him receiving or potentially receiving a $40,000 offseason roster bonus. As Three Down Nation's John Hodge first reported, he quickly came to terms on a new contract with the Edmonton Elks, reuniting him with Chris Jones. Will his impact, what will his impact be in Alberta with the green and gold? Well, I think he's going to have a good impact. This is a team that did not have any pass rush whatsoever off the edge this past year, or at least it was a very lackluster pass rush coming off the edge. The Elks also re-signed Christian Rector today. He finished third on the team with three sacks. Like when you're finishing third on the team with three sacks, that is a sign that you need to up your game, right? When it comes to rushing the passer and Edmonton has as far as I'm concerned, the best interior defensive lineman in the CFL in Jake Ceresda, a guy who absolutely moves the pocket, is a dancing bear, has even rushed from the edge at times for Edmonton. But I know if I was an edge rusher, I would love the opportunity to play beside Jake Ceresda. And though AC Leonard is coming off a down year, only had three sacks this past season, had some injury issues, he has played at an all-star level. For many years in the past, and there's a reason why he was scheduled to be the highest paid defensive lineman in the CFL in 2023 prior to being released. So I like Leonard a lot. If there's a, a coach that knows how to get the most out of him, it is Chris Jones, the man who converted him from a tight end to a defensive end back in 2016 in Regina. And I think this is a, a big need for Edmonton that they've got a chance to fill before free agency gets underway. So I like this move. A lot. Yeah, you, you talk about the down year, and AC Leonard battled some injuries. Here's your fun fact of the day since you brought up Jake Ceresna. Neither AC Leonard or Pete Robertson, the other defensive end in Saskatchewan, who had nine sacks last year and also battled some injuries, neither of them recorded a sack in a game where Garrett Marino was not playing defensive tackle. And the reason why is Garrett Marino ate up a lot of double teams for his awful a human being as he was with his actions on the field. He did command a lot of attention on in, in that interior defensive line. And there is nobody else in the league who's going to command more attention than Jake Ceresna. So AC Leonard is going to be freed up for a whole lot of one-on-ones there in Edmonton. I expect him to have a huge mounts back season for the Elks. I can definitely see that. And, to go back to the Rough Riders angle of this, there's a lot of people in the Rider Nation wondering why they wouldn't pay him the bonus or why they release him. And I think this could be one that might come back to haunt the Riders. I get that you feel like he had some injuries that were nagging him last year, but he's going to be highly motivated now, especially after being released. And it should help that he's paired back up with Chris Jones, but you look at the Rough Riders and it does free up some money for them to go after some different pass rushers, but those guys got to make it to free agency if they're going to get some fresh blood in there at pass rusher. And they got to figure out a way to, I think, keep Pete Robertson, who was their best pass rusher a year ago. So there needs to be that money commitment to Robertson to get him to sign unless they think there's a couple pass rushers on the market that they can go out and get now with this extra money that they don't need Robertson. But I know he's highly thought of inside the building. I'm sure he's going to want a decent pay bump, but the riders need to make sure they keep that because AC Leonard, when he's playing at his best is without question, one of the best defensive linemen in this league. He showed it not too long ago in 2021. And I think some of the nagging injuries that he had just kept him from that in 2022. And it's clear that Chris Jones is all right with having a player that doesn't want to pee in a cup. <laughs> There's, I, I'll add one more thing quickly. 
Yes, Garrett Marino being out affected the edge rushing in Saskatchewan. The other player who dramatically, I think, affected that was Anthony Lanier, a guy who I'm sure many teams are willing to stack a lot of money on the table for. I believe he led the the, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in sacks, at least through the first half of last season, as an interior guy. He's also a pending free agent alongside Robertson. So I get the Riders' logic here letting the 31-year-old pass rusher walk to potentially invest in a couple of younger guys and free up that cap space. Because as much as I just, you know, shot my mouth off saying that the riders shouldn't be busy right now, I think they do need to bring back at least one of those two in Lanier or Robertson. Because that D-line was great at the start of last season. Obviously, Marino's not coming back, thank goodness. But they've now lost Leonard. I don't think they can afford to lose Lanier and Robertson as well. They, that's probably one spot they should get at least one of those guys done for 2023. Before we move on, I just want to touch on one thing because Dunk brought it up, and it is my off-season pet peeve in the CFL, and that's when a player like this gets cut ahead of an off-season bonus, and everybody clutches their pearls and goes, how dare they? How could they cut him before he received his check? How brutal. That's what the bonus is there for, guys. And any fan out there listening, when you have an offseason bonus in the contract, it is put there specifically by good agents to ensure that a team has to make a commitment to a player before free agency. So AC Leonard is a guy who is vulnerable to getting cut. If he doesn't have that offseason bonus in there, then they can just string him along. They can take him almost to training camp before they cut him when everybody else has their rosters filled and there's not money out there for him to collect. Now he's in a good situation to sign before free agency to get a leg up on the market and to get a bunch of money in Edmonton, right? Of course, AC Leonard would have rather collected his $40,000 offseason bonus, right? He wants money, but... The reason it's there is to prompt a cut so he can get paid elsewhere if he's not going to get paid in Saskatchewan. So it's not untoward by the Saskatchewan Rough Riders to let him go a day before the bonus. It's why it's there. It's actually better for the player to get cut now than it is to be cut later down the road when there's less money available, there's less options to him, and he hasn't been paid a single cent at all. AC Leonard is actually happier to get a $55,000 signing bonus as an American because it's taxed at a lower rate instead of that $40,000 roster bonus. So it is beneficial, JC. It's a great point. And it makes me think of Dane Evans and the predicament that he's in because he doesn't have one of those off-season roster bonuses in his contract before free agency. Poor job by the agent. And now I believe that's going to hinder his earning ability in 2023 because he's not due any money all the way until training camp. If he were to get there and report and pass his physical for whatever team that's going to be with. So those offseason bonuses, especially before free agency, are smart by the agents. And I will echo what JC said, beneficial for the players. An independent CFL highlight YouTube channel was recently taken down after the league copyright claimed three of its videos. Tell us about what happened, Hodge. Yeah, so this is a YouTube channel. It's also an Instagram account called CFL Mixtapes. It's run by a kid named Adam Stevens. And when I say a kid, I literally mean that. He's 14 years old. Based out of Vancouver, started off editing NBA NFL highlights and found himself at the start of the 2021 season getting into the CFL for the first time had never watched the league had no interest in the league now he did source his clips illegally which is something that I think is important to state for the record he was recording clips from TSN from CFL and using them as part of his edits now what is traditionally done speaking to people who know the multimedia digital industry better than I do is when content like that, that is copyrighted gets posted leagues or companies or individuals or networks can claim the video without having it removed. In other words, the video can remain live on the platform. Ads can run over top of it, but instead of the creator getting the revenue from the ads, the revenue goes to the company who owns the copyright. Now, this YouTube channel had about 60,000 channel views, about 500 subscribers. I don't think it was large enough to have any monetization, 
like Stevens has never made any money from doing his edits. He did it because he loved them. And also they got a lot of traction with actual CFL players. This kid is followed on Instagram by Bolivar Mitchell and Willie Jefferson. How many 14 year old Canadian kids can walk around saying that they are followed on Instagram by CFL stars like that. And through doing these edits, he came to love the league, have a new appreciation for the league. And he also called on his interview with me on the league to have better marketing, especially to people his age, right? He is 14. That is 100% the demographic the CFL needs to be chasing. So to me, this is part of a larger conversation about the CFL making itself more accessible for those who don't know, this is also in the article I wrote, the CFL does have a video database that is accessible by members of the media to watch back full game, specific plays. There is an option to download plays and like as video files on your local hard drive and edit them as you see fit. However, the CFL does not permit anybody to post these clips or publish them anywhere, which is why during the offseason you don't see any independent publications such as our own or others using video clips in content. And it's unfortunate because at the end of the day, I think the CFL, and this is my personal opinion, would be wise to let people use these clips. We used to have a, a video player on our page, boys. We would have loved to feature CFL highlights and videos on that video player. We were not permitted to. And so other stuff ran. Some of it was content that we produced for this very podcast, but Right. Fans want to see the big plays. They want to see the big stars and the CFL has to be more visible. So I'm really glad that the piece has gotten a very large response. And frankly, I hope it leads to some much needed conversations to take place at CFL headquarters as they try to navigate, you know, the 21st century of marketing in today's world and maybe get out of the old school mindset that they seem to have over at CFL HQ. This is incredibly short-sighted thinking by the league. Randy Ambrosi should buy a plane ticket to Vancouver, show up at Adam Stevens' door th- store, doorstep, shake his hand, and thank him profusely for what he is doing, for being a 14-year-old fan who cares enough about this league to put in the time and effort to make these edits to uplift the CFL and put it out there for fans right? That should be applauded. It should be thanked. We want more people like that. There is absolutely no reason for the league to take those videos down, okay? I know, yes, they're sourced illegally. That's that's the reality. But the league needs all the free marketing it can get, right? There is a dearth of video content for the CFL. It's a major problem that we don't speak about enough. Everyone likes highlight clips, right? They're huge for every league. If you look at the NFL, I follow the NFL on YouTube. I subscribe to the channel. Every Sunday, they probably produce 100 videos, highlight clips, game recaps, specific player game recaps. In the offseason, they're doing highlight reels for the biggest stars and for historical players and video content for all sorts of different things. The CFL does nothing. Okay, There's a few videos here or there. Very little. It's almost impossible to find highlights for your favorite player. It's impossible to find highlights for historical players, despite the fact that this league likes to pat itself on the back about being uh, oh so historically relevant. Well, you can't find out about any of these guys who were so dominant in the past, even the stars that chose the CFL over the NFL back in the day when that was still a financial possibility. The league does nothing to advance that cause and to make it marketable for people in a way where they can see how great the athletes are and consume it. It's extremely unfortunate, and there needs to be major changes. I've been banging this drum for a while, and this situation makes me incredibly sad because here is potential for some of those videos to get out there because someone cared. A kid cared. I was once a kid who cared. And it's unfortunate that the CFL would slam the door in Adam Stevens' face. I'm going to use an example of two kids who have started to care about the CFL. And those are my nephews, Liam is seven, Elliot is six. And of course they started to like the BC Lions and Nathan Rourke last year because I was raving about him, but they want to watch YouTube all the time. And what does YouTube now feed them as part of the algorithm, especially when they're watching on my phone, NFL 
highlight clips. It could be recent. It could be old. It could be their favorite player, Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills, or it could be Joe Burrow, who we were talking about, or Patrick Mahomes last week. Now, obviously, it could be Jalen Hurts, but those videos just get fed to them in the algorithm, but there's hardly anything there for that CFL algorithm to feed them. They would get up after some of the doubleheaders and want to watch the highlights, CFL games, of those games from the night before. But then that was about it. There was highlights of those games, and there's nothing there. One of them started really liking, liking excuse me, Lucky Whitehead. But it's not like you can go find, as JC was referencing, an individual video of Lucky Whitehead's 2022 highlight plays or 2021 highlight plays when he was less injured. So the CFL needs to realize this, that in this very small example with my nephews, the NFL is beating them. And yes, the NFL is a big behemoth and they're going to be able to create way more videos than the CFL. But you need to at least have videos out there of your top stars consistently in the offseason that can be consumed because this is the way this generation is consuming content largely on YouTube when they're watching these types of videos. You want to be in that algorithm. I would argue you need to get in that algorithm to get them as fans because, yes, Liam and Elliot will ask me about Nathan Rourke and him signing with the Jacksonville Jaguars and they want to follow that story, but they're doing that largely through me where they're developing these other lights and seeing these other teams and starting to rhyme off all of the NFL teams that I haven't even taught them about is because they've been fed these highlight videos on YouTube. So they know about the Philadelphia Eagles offense and how fun it is to watch. I don't even have to tell them. They're telling me because they've seen it on YouTube. So this is a perfect example to tie the ball on this story, which I think Hodge did a great job of finding and also writing. One thing I will add is the CFL does have its own YouTube channel. They do have some highlight videos. Their most popular video since the season ended is their Nathan Rourke video. It's got, at the as of the recording of this podcast, 7.2 thousand views on YouTube. Over the last four weeks, they've posted five videos, a one-on-one with Bully by Mitchell, a thank you video to Nathan Rourke, and then highlight compilations of Curly Gittens Jr., Lorenzo Malden, and Eugene Lewis. So there is some content. I would argue it's not nearly enough. However, to bring it back, to Stevens, the 14-year-old who is making these edits on YouTube and having some success with it. This is speculation. And by the way, the CFL did not comment on this, so they did not confirm or deny. But he noticed that the, that the strikes that came in, they're the copyright claims that came in from the CFL, seem to coincide with them uploading videos of players he'd already done. So in other words, again, it's speculation. But his thought was, well, maybe the CFL's cool with what I'm doing, provided they don't have a video competing against mine. And in the CFL's case, I can appreciate why you don't want other people competing with you. But by that same token, that means they're doing it for free. If you don't want to pay people to produce a thousand videos a year for YouTube, <laughs> which is, I suppose, understandable. That might be what you need to get into the algorithm, as Dunk is talking about. And by the way, I have a six-year-old niece and nephew who go to all the Bomber games with my brother and sister-in-law. They love YouTube. I'm sure they would love nothing more than more CFL YouTube content. But you're going to need to let other people do it for free and be open to them, quote-unquote, competing with you. Because if someone, if their version of, quote-unquote, competing with you is featuring your game, and getting it in front of more people, regardless of the size and scope of their audience, they're not competing with you. They're helping you, and you need to embrace that help. Anyways, it's time for Hodges Heritage Moment. On this day in 2015, the Seattle Seahawks were defeated by the New England Patriots in Super Bowl 49 by a score of 28-24. Chris Matthews, who was named the CFL's most outstanding rookie as a member of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in 2012, caught four touchdown pa- pardon me, four passes for 109 yards and a touchdown as an unlikely hero for the Seahawks. The receiver spent four seasons in the NFL from 2014 to 2017 and recorded 16 regular season receptions before returning to the CFL with Calgary, Winnipeg, and Montreal. 
I don't know about you boys, but I remember that game very clearly now eight years ago going, is that Chris Matthews? Because he had done nothing all year for that team. And suddenly a hundred million people on television were watching him light it up and the Seahawks damn near won that game. If he caught four touchdowns, I would have won the game, but he <laughs> yes. would have had a shot for a Super Bowl MVP, even if they would have just won it without those four touchdown catches. I think it, it's a it's a brilliant story to highlight what we talk about often in terms of the difference between CFL and NFL players being so small. Because here's a guy who had a good season in the CFL as a rookie, goes down to the NFL, doesn't play a whole lot, comes out at this huge stage and shows he can play with anyone, right? He is he's good enough to play with anyone. Would have been the Super Bowl MVP had the Seattle Seahawks won, then drops off the face of the earth after that game has only 16 career regular season receptions, comes back to the CFL, doesn't do anything here as well. So the margins between these players are so small that just about any CFL player, given the right opportunity in the NFL, can have a performance like Chris Matthews. Let's get to it with the three-minute drill. The Calgary Stampeders signed James Vodders, bringing him back to Canada following a four-year stint in the NFL. Is that a savvy move? I think it's a great move, though I think this opens questions about Calgary's plans in free agency. They've got Falara and Arimalade and Sean Lemon with what they paid Vodders right up there in that premium defensive line money, $180,000, $190,000. And Jameer Thurman. There's no, exactly, there's no way they're bringing back a bunch of those other guys. The BC Lions re-signed defensive back TJ Lee, who is their longest serving player. How important is he to that locker room? absolutely critical i mean he is a fantastic defensive back but he is the center of that defensive room and also one of my favorite players to interview in a press conference he's absolutely hilarious he has his own swag he comes in with the shades i absolutely love talking to tj lee pending free agent receiver shaq evans told ckrm in regina that he doesn't expect to be back with the riders is that a surprise it's not really when you look at this seemingly new or rejigged approach from the Rough Riders, they're going to go in a different direction. I think a receiver and really look to invest money on the offensive line. So, no, it's not just simply because Shaq Evans hasn't been able to stay healthy. I still think he has that playmaking ability, but he's got to prove he can stay on the football field. TSN will televise four CFL preseason games in 2023, including both of Saskatchewan's exhibition contest. Does that make sense? It makes sense to show both of Saskatchewan's games for a ratings standpoint. You want to make sure you're getting bang for your buck. I will say this. I'd love to see all nine preseason games on television. A, a TSN producer did point out that some of the games run at the same time or some of the games, you know, maybe kick off just like slightly different. Well, you've got five channels and you've got a brand new digital platform you're trying to push out there called TSN Plus. Surely there's a way that you can do two games at the same time, even if one is somewhat of a skeleton crew. That's just my opinion. Identical twin brothers Chase Brown and Sidney Brown topped the second edition of the CFL Scouting Bureau rankings ahead of the 2023 CFL draft. Are they worthy of being that high? absolutely are and unfortunately they're not coming to the cfl anytime soon we all know about chase brown how dominant he was as a running back he's going to get drafted highly in the nfl i've floated some concerns maybe about how the nfl would view sydney brown because he plays down in the box i think i was off base on that i think his draft status may be even higher than his brother's and he's going to have a really good performance here at the nfl combine the Chicago Bears worked out two CFL quarterbacks in Saskatchewan's Jake Dolagala and Edmonton's Kai Loxley. Is that a surprise? Dolagala certainly was because Loxley is an athlete. I could see him in the mold of a obviously way, way, way lighter version of Justin Fields. But the Dolagala one just didn't necessarily make sense to me, although he had been in the NFL previously. The Toronto Argonauts re-signed Grey Cup hero Robbie Smith to a two-year contract. Do you think he'll be a starter for the Double Blue in 2023? Given what they paid him, I certainly hope that he would be, especially with their two starting defensive ends from this past year, Garrett Davis and Shane Ray, being pending free agents. It was what, Hodge? 160K-ish? About there. So the that's, people know? that's starter money. Absolutely. 
Philadelphia Eagles All-Pro Center Jason Kelsey said on his podcast that he wants Canadian-style offensive motion in the NFL. Would that make the four-down game better? Of course it would. It would make it so much more exciting. And I want you to imagine for a minute, Travis Kelsey, Jason's brother, all 6'4", 250 of him, coming at you full speed with the waggle. Are you kidding me? Nobody's covering him then. Matt Dunnigan told CKRM that he thinks Chad Kelly is too wet behind the ears to be a starting quarterback in 2023. Do you agree with that, Dunn? I don't, and I would pose the question to Mr. Donegan and say, well, did you think Nathan Rourke was too wet behind the ears to be the BC Lions starting quarterback in 2022? Because I don't think any of us are thinking that now. Kelly has been in pro football long enough. I think he's ready. We're going to find out, hopefully, what he is if McLeod Bethel Thompson does not decide to return to playing CFL football. Calgary has re-signed left tackle Derek Dennis for what he is calling one last season of pro football. Is he still capable of locking down that blind side? He showed that he could in 2022. I was a skeptic him coming off two straight years of not playing football. I thought he was very good when healthy last season. And there's not a lot of offensive tackles on the market in free agency. I like the re-addition for Calgary. And if this is his last season, congrats to Dennis on a very solid CFL career. Giovanni Cunningham, son of former Argos receiver Jimmy the Jet Cunningham, has been added to the 2023 CFL draft class. Where do you think he'll get picked? It's going to be an interesting one because he really is an enigma. Did not play very much at college at Cornell. Now, the Ivy League, he didn't have the same options to go back as some other players because they're very strict about you having to graduate in four years for those elite Ivy League programs. Didn't get the chance to see the, f- the field a lot, but he's extremely fast. Just like his dad was, he can contribute as a kick returner. In sort of a weaker receiver class, I think you could see him sneak into the back end of the draft here. The Ottawa Red Blacks re-signed a pair of starting defensive backs on Wednesday, including Three Down Nation's 31st-ranked pending free agent, Brandon Dandridge. Do you think his game can reach new heights in 2023? I do. This guy is on the come up for sure. And especially after him coming back from the NFL, I think a full season in the CFL can help him continue that elite trajectory that he's on. Montreal Alouettes resigned star returner Chandler Worthy. Worthy. He is worthy through 2024 on Wednesday. Can he repeat as the most outstanding special teams player in the East Division? Well, right now, the Montreal Alouettes don't have a quarterback and all five of their starting receivers are free agents. So for their sake, he better be. (laughs) I don't know who else is going to be scoring this year. He better be. They're going to need him. Unless, of course, they can get some of these guys back. But that remains to be seen. Free agency gets underway February 14th. And as Dunk mentioned earlier in the show, the negotiating window opens on February 5th. That could be when we see some decisions start to be made as all of these guys. There's still a ton. There's so many good players not inside of our top 35 boys. We have internally ranked to 60 players. We'll probably end up doing 100 at some point. There's a lot of talent to be had. Stay tuned to 3 Down Nation for all the latest on the CFL free agency. We'll join you next Wednesday for another episode. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 